There is a lyric from the Broadway musical Once on This Island, and it states, And if the gods move our feet, we dance. Well, the gods have certainly moved Skylar Maxie Wirtz's feet for almost 20 years from studying at the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School of the American Ballet Theater to performing with the Semper Oper Ballet in Dresden, Germany. He has learned some valuable life lessons. You have to have the tools to maneuver through the rigorous training and expectations of the dance world with grace and kindness towards yourself. You must breathe into the space of being an artist as opposed to just trying to be perfect all of the time. And most importantly, there is room at the ballet bar for all types of people and body types. Thank you, Skylar, for your wisdom beyond your years. Hello, and welcome to another installment of At The Podium with me, Patrick Huey. At The Podium is a platform where we will learn from people who come from different walks of life, careers, and experiences, but all share one thing in common. They have stepped fully into the transformative power of saying yes to the unexpected turns of their lives. And they are now using the power of their voice, or podium, to make an impact on the world we live in today. At the podium is the intersection of art, culture, and big thoughts wrapped up in good old-fashioned conversation. Today, I'm thrilled and humbled to share the podium with Skylar Maxie Wirt. Skylar was born in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He received his early dance training from the Lancaster School of Ballet under Carolyn Tripal and Victor Yelihoen. At age 13, he moved to New York City to join the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School of American Ballet Theater. He then joined the Semper Oper Ballet in Dresden, Germany at the age of 18, where he is still currently dancing. He has appeared in numerous productions, including The Sleeping Beauty as Bluebird, The Nutcracker as The Prince, La Bayadere as Ekavir by Aaronis Watkin, The Dream as Bottom by Sir Frederick Ashton. He has also appeared in Symphony in C and Theme and Variations by George Balanchine, and most recently, Still of King by Yorma Elo. He has also designed roles in new creations, such as Tristan and Isolde and The Four Seasons by David Dawson, Cow by Alexander Ekman, and a collection of short stories by Nicholas Palmquist. Skylar, welcome to At The Podium. Hello. I am so happy. We have been connected virtually for many years now. So this is the first time that we're actually speaking and talking to one another. But I have followed your career from when you were, I believe, even in high school to moving to moving to Europe to dance. Uh And so Uh I'm so excited to talk to you about that today, because I feel like the dancer life and the dancer experience is such a unique journey. One that requires incredible physical prowess along with incredible Mm -hmm. artistic expression to execute and to Mm -hmm. create 
that experience that people see when they sit in a theater and watch a ballet or whatever it is this person is doing. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I know that dance has been a significant part of your life since you were a very young child. Do you recall a a time when you weren't dancing? No, I I don't. (laughs) I really don't. (laughs) I don't recall a time when I wasn't dancing. I think I was always involved in some kind of, even when I was really young, before I started taking like official dance classes, I always, I think we always had, you know, music in the house, always some kind of like, we were an active family, not necessarily always like, you know, sports, but we were always, um, you know, never just like chilling on the couch. We were always kind of doing things that were like musical things or artistic things. So I think dance and art in general has always been part of my life since I was born, practically. So how did you find your way to dance? When did you know that that was going to be the thing that you were going to do? So my parents are both like artistic people. My dad was a mind, professional mind. And my mom was also a um, dance therapist. And they were both involved in a lot of different kind of uh, performing arts and stuff like that. And my mom put both me and my sister in, in dance when we were young. And I really, I stuck to it. I was a really kind of serious kid, I think. And something about the structure of, of, uh, of ballet and dance classes, I really, uh, it really worked well for me, I think. I just kind of, yeah, I just, I just stuck with it. I remember there was a time around 10 where um, I was in, you know, coming into middle school and that's the age where kids kind of start to get mean and stuff. And I, I remember I, I would get teased a lot for dancing and my mom, I think she just said like, you know, stick it out for like another, another year, another couple years. And then I stayed with it. And then when I was 13 is when I went to the big ballet school in New York. So that's when it really kind of took off. You said something very interesting that around the age of 10 or 11, the kids got mean. Yeah. Did you think about stopping dancing when that started to happen? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely, I, because when I was, when I was in elementary school, I was in like the local uh, Nutcracker and the school organized all of the kids uh, from my elementary school to come to the, to the Nutcracker and, and see the show. And when I was really little, like kids thought it was cool because they were like, oh, like you're famous and I already sign autographs and stuff like that. But then once I got to middle school, it wasn't cool anymore, you know? <laughs> and, and yeah, I would get, I would get teased and. Luckily, I also I started uh, at around seven with a capoeira, which is a Brazilian martial arts. So I always kind of used that as my excuse, like, oh, I can't, I can't play outside. I have a capoeira class when actually I was going to ballet class or something. And I think it, I think the teasing and the the kind of secrecy that I had kind of deterred me away from wanting to to dance a little bit. But um, you know, my family was like supportive, and I. And I guess something happened. I think it was around, yeah, 13 when I got into the, the ABT school where I realized, okay, all of that really doesn't matter because it's what I want to do. When you were eight and you were studying at, at the studio in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. did you know then that you were good? That's a good question. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I, I, I wasn't a, I was a pretty shy kid and I loved to dance, but I had a lot of also performance anxiety. I didn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily the most confident when I was younger. And I think that I was lucky enough to have people that kind of said, you know, you have, you have a talent for this and you can really do this if you, if you, if you do it, you know? So I think when, when I finally got the chance to go to the American Ballet Theater School, was when I kind of realized, like, oh, I guess I, I really could make a career out of this. And then it just 
you know, take off. How did ABT come into your life? So I, there were these great, they're like retired uh, principal dancers from the Joffrey Ballet that used to come, uh, Paul Sutherland and Bruni Ruiz. Bruni has uh, passed away a couple years ago. They would come to our, the Lancaster School Ballet uh, every summer and teach like little private classes and like during the summer intensive. And one summer, Paul and Bruni came and I remember Paul, Paul taught me a little like private lesson. And he said to my mom, you know, if he wants to make it as a dancer, he's going to have to go to New York and, you know, join. It, at that moment, American Ballet Theater seemed like the best place for me to go to the school, especially the, the Jacqueline Kennedy NASA school. And so we got everything together that summer and I went and auditioned and I got in and then that was it. So at the age of 13, you're making a decision about your career. Yes. That you had to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm literally both feet, no pun intended, in. Yeah, yeah basically. I mean, I mean, it was, it, it was a crazy thing. I mean, my, I mean, thank God that I have the parents that I have because my mom, my parents both, you know, let me, let me go. And a lot of, I think a lot of parents wouldn't have just let their kid, you know, leave like that. I mean, I was from like New York to Lancaster is about a three hour trip. You know, moving away from home at 13 is still, even if it's three hours away, it's still kind of a big thing. Yeah, I was lucky that uh, Angel was living in New York at the time. So I lived with her for the first uh, year and a half or so. Angel Gardner was a classmate of mine at the Yale School of Drama. She was in the management program. I was in the acting program. And you knew Angel from growing up. Yes. So my my parents used to live uh, with Angel in this place called the Menno House in New York City. So she was like a, a family friend for like, you know, she was like an aunt to me uh, growing up. So luckily she was there and I, I went and, and lived with her. And so that was like, you know, I wasn't just like living with a stranger or something. So I think that helped a lot. But I remember, I remember laying like in bed and just crying my first night because I was so like unsure, you know, 13, unsure of everything because I'm 13. And then also unsure of I was really making the right decision, you know, to pursue this as a career. And I was, I remember just thinking about, you know, all my friends and everything that I was leaving behind, but I'm really happy that I made the the jump, you know. How do your parents describe that time when you left? People anticipate sometimes their kids leaving home at 18 to go to college, but 13, you're just forming as a person in many ways. And then you, you move to New York city to study at one of the premier institutions in the world. It was a lot for my parents, especially my mom, but she, you know, she's a strong woman and and she, man, she knew that it was for my greater good. You know, she knew it was the best thing for me, despite it being so painful for her. And I think that's, she was really um, selfless in that because I think a lot of parents would have said like, Oh, it's too hard for me. So I'm going to keep my child. But she really was able to kind of, put her own um, feelings aside. She actually, I went to New York the same year my sister went to college. And also my mom's father passed away the same summer. So it was a, it was a big, it was a, a huge, huge transitional time for my mom and my parents. She, she put me before her herself, you know what I mean? She put what was better for me before, you know, how she felt about it. So I'm forever grateful for that. What did that move to New York teach you about yourself? That's a good question. I remember 
what did it teach me about myself? I think looking back, it taught me that I was um, resilient. That's for sure. I had a side to me that I think I stuck to what I was there for. You know what I mean? I didn't get so uh, wrapped up as a young person could, you know, in the big city with whatever's happening. And I really stayed focused on what I was doing. And looking back, I think about like other 13 year olds that I know (laughs) putting them in that kind of situation. And I think it's, yeah, I guess I was, I was a very focused 13 year old, I would say, which I didn't think about it at the time, but looking back, I'm like, yeah, giving myself props for that, I guess. (laughs) So when you are, when you make a decision to immerse yourself in conservatory training at such mm-hmm. a rigorous program like ABT on a very nuts and bolts level, how do you, how do you find that balance in your life between school classes? You've got to go to school, mm-hmm. all the dance training that you have to do. And then just the navigation of life as a teenager, how, how did you find your balance within those three sort of areas? I would say it wasn't always perfectly balanced. That's for sure. You know, there were, you know, ebbs and flows and and all of that. But I would say that I was fortunate enough. So I went to the professional performing arts school, which is a public school in New York City for, you know, young people in the performing arts. So a lot of people there are either performing on Broadway or at, at the ABT school or SAB or, you know, wherever. And the school is kind of designed for kids busy and working and performing and they kind of schedule things for your particular situation. So I was uh, lucky enough that I, so at the beginning, I, w- I was there actually already in, in eighth grade and then ninth and 10th was still pretty normal, pretty normal day of school. And then I would dance in the evening. And then once I got to the higher level of the dance school and then into the ABT studio company, I was dancing in the morning. So I had to kind of shift my whole schooling situation And my last year of school, I ended up basically just doing it through correspondence and emails and working kind of just with the teacher in that way. Yeah, I think I I was just lucky to, yeah, to to get the chance to go to PPAS and have such a flexible schedule. So you you said that you joined, you joined the studio company. Yes. What does that mean? So that is a studio. So, um, the studio company is like, it's the second company. Normally a second company is kind of like somewhere between, it depends on, on, on the company. But when I was at the, the studio company, it was like between the school and the ABT main company. So it wasn't quite professional, but you didn't have uniforms and you were, um, it was a small group of maybe, I think it was like six. No, I think there's like eight of us, eight or 10. And we did like little tours on our own. We rehearsed just together and it kind of got you ready for what a company life would be like. And that that's kind of like the goal of like a second company or a studio company. So you have the kind of, you feel the, let's say, pressure or obligations of a company member without actually being in a full company. And do you audition for that studio company or is that an invitation only type of um, situation? I was... It was kind of the natural progression of, of the schooling. So, and when I was there, the, the company in the school went through um, some changes and things changed around. But by the time I was kind of at the age and ready to join the studio company, I, I was uh, moved up to that level. So I didn't actually have to do an official audition. So when yeah. you're a teenager and you're in a very, it's a very competitive world dancing. Yeah. Um, yeah. As any artistic pursuit is, every, there are many people who want to be a part of it and pursue that. And they're just not, they're not a lot of spaces. 
Did you ever doubt yourself, doubt your talent, doubt your ability? Definitely. I think I, you know, there's, it's definitely, it's like you said, it's a very, it's a competitive and difficult world to be brought up in, I think. And unfortunately, sometimes a young person doesn't always have the tools to maneuver their own kind of like uh, ego or, you know, figure out how to be constructive with yourself as opposed to just being really, really hard on yourself, you know. And I think once I became a professional dancer, I was able to kind of dissect some thinking habits that I developed as a young person in, in, in dance and ballet specifically, because it is such a, a rigorous, you know, training and world that, you know, when I was younger, being being really hard on myself and um, being kind of a perfectionist was a way to keep myself afloat and kind of survive. But then once I became professional, I realized that it, it, that kind of hinders artistic expression. You know what I mean? Mm. So I had to find a way to let go of that with, you know, maintaining the work ethic, but at the same time, allow myself to like breathe into the space of being um, an artist as opposed to just trying to be um, correct or perfect. Talk, talk about, talk about that tension between the technique that is required to perform any type of dance. The technique yeah. must be without question. Yeah. And then, as you said, to breathe life into artistic expression, talk about mm -hmm. that tension and how you navigate that. I think that, yeah, like you said, uh, technique, especially any type of dance, but I would say particularly for, for ballet and particularly like classical ballet, technique is a, it's a huge part of it and it has to be there, but you have to find a way to almost let go of that and express yourself within the, the, the construct of, of the particular dance vocabulary that you're using. Does that make sense? Yes. So I think about it like, you know, ballet is like, it's like a language. It has a specific vocabulary, but what you do with that vocabulary is, is where the, the art, artistry comes out. And I think, you know, there's a reason why, you know, when you're young, it's like technique, 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 because it has to be really ingrained in you until it becomes second nature. And I think, yeah, once you become, you know, professional and you're doing, and you're dancing, you know, different types of choreography and stuff, people don't want to see a very good student. They want to see somebody who has an understanding of themselves and their technique as an artist, but is able to make something out of that as opposed to just the cut and dry kind of shapes. In the acting world, we, we would talk about it from the perspective of in rehearsal, you rehearse and there's technique and there is creating the path of the story that you're going to tell. But the minute the audience is in the, the butts are in the seats or the camera's rolling, you have to put that aside and just express the moment and play yeah. really, in yes. the moment that's Absolutely. happening. I, I, it's interesting. It's interesting that we're, we're talking about this now because I just worked on, I just performed a, a like eight minute, eight and a half minute solo by a Yorma Elo. It's a beautiful piece and it's about, it's called Still of King. And it's about the, the life of, of a king from when he's born until he dies, basically. And he, the, when I was working with my uh, ballet master, Laura Graham, we talked a lot about um, having a kind of 
through line and an idea for every single movement as opposed to just dancing it physically. And I realized that that kind of very strong through line and story is what it would carry me through the entire piece. Because if I approached it just in a physical way, it was just exhausting. And it was just, it was just impossible to dance. You know what I mean? So um, having that kind of, that kind of backbone of the story is what kind of carried the piece along. And I think that that's kind of how it always should be. You know what I mean? It's it, dance is kind of a physical representation or manifestation of something that is happening on the inside. That makes perfect sense. It's so interesting that you say that, Skylar. I was, I also play the saxophone and I was just working on the new song. It's a very hard song. It's a jazz standard by a guy named Billy Strayhorn. But he, he wrote this really beautiful song called Lush Life. That's really, if we're going to talk about the language of music and dance, it's two movements. You sort of have the first movement of the song, which is a remembrance of things that happened in the past. And then you have the second movement of the song, which is what my life is today. And I, and I practice the song, and you'll appreciate this, in two different... I, I learned the first part, I learned the second part, and I practiced them. But when I put them together, it didn't work. And I found okay. and I found that it didn't work until I essentially invested in the story and the narrative of the music and okay. the lyric. Mm-hmm. And because I had practiced the notes... The notes were there. But what made the song happen was when I invested in the story and the narrative and, and committed yeah. to that journey, which is okay. similar to what you're Yeah, exactly. About. I think I think that's the same for any um, any art form. And that's, I think, what an audience connects to. Because especially with, I think music is probably a bit more universal than classical ballet, let's say. But even with, with the untrained eye, you know, a, a person is not going to react to a beautifully arched foot the same way a dancer would, you know, if they were in the audience. So I think the point shouldn't always be to achieve these like great technical feats, because in, in, at the end, there's going to be people that watch that aren't even going to know the difference, whether, you, you know, if you fell out of the pirouette or if you didn't. It's about, you know, the, the, the point of view or the emotional kind of quality that you're going to pass on to the audience. That's what makes the dancers great. You can see the people who have the emotional connection to the whatever the music is. They have yeah. the emotional connection to the music, and they are expressing the essence of that music. And you you see yeah. it, and that's what makes Wendy Whalen Wendy Whalen. That's what makes uh-huh. that's what makes Sergey. It makes Sergey Sergey, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. they express yeah. the thing. That is unspeakable, which is why we dance or why we sing. Exactly. Exactly. How did you handle, and maybe it gets better as you get older, how do you handle the physical demands that a dancer has on their body in a way that's healthy? Yeah. Hmm. That's also changed. Uh, I think my my relationship with my my body and self-image has definitely changed a lot since school, you know, to, to now. It's gotten healthier, I think. How do I deal with that? I I try to not get so deep with it, not think about it so much, like the shape of, you know, because I, you know, there's definitely a thing of uh, ballet technique shapes your body. It, it does. And that's part of the art form and part of the craft. Hmm. But it's not, I think sometimes, especially in schools, uh, before, before kids really like 
understand kind of like the point. People just think, oh, we should look skinnier. We should look super long or the foot should be walked or, you know, and you realize when you're um, now I even I look at, at some dancers, like videos of dancers that I thought were amazing when I was younger. And I realized like, oh, no, they just had whacked out lines or they just had this crazy thing that I really wanted at that age. But you realize that it doesn't matter as much um, in the long run. Like I said, yeah, the, the, the art of ballet, the craft is about shaping, shaping your body. But it's not it's not to create some kind of unnatural shape for you. It's just about using what you have to create, uh, you know, lines or shapes in this specific kind of vocabulary. I would say so. How do I navigate that now? I would say that I had to also at some point accept that uh, my body is exactly the way it is and it's perfect for ballet. You know what I mean? Not that it's not that not that I'm perfect, but anybody's ballet body could be perfect for ballet. Does that make sense? Yes. There's not some kind of, you know, ideal shape that if you don't make that, you won't be a dancer. That doesn't exist. And I think I had to really come to terms with that and accept myself how I was to realize that the body I have is exactly all it is all I need to be a dancer. And yes, I, I train and I work out and I eat well, but that's just to maintain what I have, not to change it into some unrealistic version of what I think it should be. It makes me think about Misty Copeland, who mm-hmm. is this, I know you don't call them Ocelutas anymore, but she's this prima. You don't, you don't even yeah, say that prima. anymore. She's just this, yeah. a principal. Star. Yeah. yeah whatever. <laughs> but people always write about her. Her body is not a typical ballet body. Her how muscular she is and you know we, we make a, there are lots of comments about her body not being a typical ballet body and i think what you're saying is quite beautiful to hear in that dance is the expression and what your body is that is what ballet is i think that's it's, it's kind of a revolutionary thought there you go <laughs> <laughs> at least that's how, how i see it you know i think that i think that's something you know if i were to I don't know if I would ever want to teach one day, but if I were ever to pass, you know, some kind of nuggets of wisdom onto the younger generation, I would say, don't be so, don't be so obsessed with the way with your lines or your body. I mean, work, how do you need a, it's, you know, there's certain things that ballet requires, but I think it's, it's way more attainable than people think it is at a young age. You know, people get so obsessed with, with like the, an arched foot or whatever. And I think everybody has, I think most people have the, the capability to achieve classical ballet aesthetic, let's say. And it just takes work. It takes really hard work, but it's possible. So at 13, you, you leave Pennsylvania and you move to New York. <laughs> at 18, you move to Germany where you are today. How yes. did how did Germany and, and, the, and the ballet in Dresden enter your life? Well, so I came here, yeah, right, right, fresh out of school, uh, fresh out of the studio company, and it really um, it really loosened me up coming here. I have to say, I, I first of all, I joined. So the company is very. Uh, we do classical ballet, and it's a ballet company, but we also do a lot of modern repertoire and modern uh, and class contemporary repertoire. In order to achieve some of that repertoire, I really had to dissect uh, my ideas about ballet and kind of 
rethink a lot of things about my training. And uh, we have a lot of foresight influence, and that's a whole other, you know, school of thought. I think that kind of really started to shape me into like the dancer that I am and the dancer that I'm going to be in the future. And I think it's really uh, important work to do to rethink your schooling. And because no matter, I mean, I went to a great school, but there's, um, you know, no matter what school you go to, there's kind of things where you grow up that you can you can change or alter for, for the better. So did you audition for them or did they invite you? How does that work? So I, I auditioned. I actually, my, so at the time I was in, in the studio company and my director, Kate Lydon, thank God, she said, uh, she was like, there's an audition for Semper Opera, like tomorrow. <laughs> and and um, I think it was at Steps. And uh, I, she said, are you going? And I was like, oh, uh, I, I didn't know about it. She said, go. <laughs> so, so I went and I'm so happy. I guess she thought it would be a good fit for me. And she was, she was right. And so Aaron, my director, he was there. He saw me then. And another boy who was in the studio company. He's also a dancer here now. His name is Vaslav Lemparder. Uh, we both went to the, to the steps audition and then Aaron saw us. Then he taught a class somewhere else. We, we took his class and then he offered us contracts. He offered me, I originally got an apprentice contract actually. And I was, I was going to go, I was set. And then that's, so this was maybe June, July or something. Then summer came and then I got an email saying, oh, there's actually a spot open in the core. Would you like to just take a core contract? And I said, yes, <laughs> of course. And so then I came directly as a, as a quarter ballet member in 2014. So once again, you pack your bags, you fly across the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, these acts, 13, New York, 18, Dresden. Where does that fearlessness come from? I think I never thought of it as, as fearlessness because I was definitely fearful sometimes. <laughs> I think it's it comes from just the pursuit of what it is that I want out of my life and what it is that I want out of my dance career and what is that I want out of myself as an artist. You know what I mean? I think for whatever reason, even at 13, I knew that if I wanted to, that this is what I wanted to do and this is what I had to do in order to make it happen. And I think I've always had a, a strong kind of idea about what it is that I had to do in order to make what I want happen. You know what I mean? Or, the, you know, the work that I had to put in to, to kind of make it happen. And I knew that I always wanted to, I knew I always wanted to dance in Europe. I just had that as an idea. I always wanted to live somewhere in Europe. And I never thought uh, Germany in particular, but when the opportunity came about, I was just like, there we go. On kind your way. Yeah. So you, you, you joined the core. Yes. And then in 2020, you're promoted to the second soloist position. Well, so I was a, a court of ballet for, let's see if I get these dates right. I think I was in court of ballet for two or three years. Then I was uh, promoted to a Corife. So it was core, then the Corife. And then I was promoted to, to second soloist. And this is my second year now as a second soloist. Okay. So tell us, you just said three different categories of dancer. What yes. do those mean for people who don't know the so, dance world? So court of ballet, if you see like, um, you know, typical ballet like Swan Lake, the court of ballet would be like the swans or, um, or oftentimes like if you see a, a court dance, they'd be like the court couples would be like the court of ballet. They're like the meat of the company. They group dances and stuff like that. Then Corey Fay in our company, it was basically like 
it's kind of a bridge between a soloist and a, and a chord of ballet member. It's in some companies, they just have kind of like senior, senior chord of ballet or, um, but it's basically, you're not quite chord of ballet and you're not quite a soloist yet. It's like just kind of in between. And then after that is, is second soloist, which is where I'm at now, which is, yeah, you do, uh, mostly, uh, yeah, you do mostly soloist roles. You would still only do a quarter ballet role if, um, you know, if need be, but you usually wouldn't be first to do those. And then first soloist is just kind of similar to second, but just level up. And then it's principal dancer, which is like the, really the lead, the lead roles and everything. And the blur, the lines are, aren't so, um, some companies it's very strict, like the, the structure, um, especially in like huge ballet companies, but because we're such a mixed, um, company is, you know, with, with modern and contemporary works, the, the ranks don't really matter so much. Um, it's more when the classical ballets come around and it's more just a way of kind of like organizing people, um, for like, for roles and stuff like that. Yeah. And how are you cast? Are you cast based upon technical ability, physical prowess? What's, what, it, what are the factors that go into you being cast in a particular role? That would be, you know, it's, it's just up to the director, really. And also uh, he, he takes into account the, the ballet masters, you know, what they would think and their ideas. And um, it really has to do with, I think, uh, you know, maturity, how if you can handle a role. If our director has a certain, you know, idea of where he sees you in the company and he wants to push you in a certain direction. Um, I think it also has to do with what you want. As He also, uh, you know, at least our director here, Aaron Watkins, is, the type of director that I think you really, if, if you um, show yourself as wanting to achieve something artistically as a dancer, he's willing to work with you to make that happen. I think he really, yeah, I think that's, that's what the casting is, is really about. I mean, of course, then we have also outside choreographers will come, they'll watch class and rehearsals and then they kind of decide through that who they, who they want to want to cast. And it also has to do with, you know, if you have you worked with them in the past, do they like the way you work? Do they feel like you're a good fit for them? And yeah, and we have such a such a diverse repertoire that we also have very diverse talents in the in the company. So oftentimes we we get the opportunity to dance very different things. So there's always something for somebody, which is nice. Is that how Still of King came into your life? The choreographer saw you and thought this is going to be a good role for you, and that's how. It yeah, started. I, well, actually, no. Um, so uh, Marcelo Gomez is is here now with us as a uh, slash dancer and also um, ballet master, and he came with uh, Still of King. It was actually choreographed on him. Uh, Jorma Elo choreographed it on him maybe ten years ago, and at the time that he was here, it was still kind of this Corona stuff happening, and we could only really do like a gala piece. We couldn't do big ballets with groups. So we had an evening of a bunch of, you know, kind of potages or solos or group pieces of people like that were still separate, you know, and he was, he was performing this, uh, the solo. And when it came around the, for the second year of performing it, they thought, oh, well, there should be a second cast. And actually Marcelo, along with, uh, the ballet master who I worked with, Laura Graham, they decided that I would be a good person to kind of like take on this, this solo which I'm happy that they did because it's, it's an incredible experience is choreography. And yeah, they were, the, they were the ones that kind of decided and then uh, Aaron agreed. So, and then actually the, the choreographer came to Dresden for a couple of days to work with us and to see me. And he had ultimately the, the final say I work 
really well with him. He's an amazing guy and a choreographer. And yeah, so then I got to dance. And that's and that's your your am I saying your So he came and saw you dance the role. Yeah, he's well. He he came to uh, to work with me to. Uh, I had like two, three, two or three rehearsals with him. Yeah, he just wanted to see you know how how I absorbed the choreography and how I would. I would perform it. And he didn't get to see the performances, unfortunately. But yeah, I got to work with him, which is great. Which is, I mean, he's one of the premier choreographers in the world today. Yeah, I think he, he's, he's actually a resident choreographer at Boston Ballet right now. What inspires you when you dance? What, where does that inspiration within you come from? Good question. What inspires me when I dance? I think, I think it, uh, it has to be, honest. It has to be truthful. And I think what I love about classical ballet and also uh, contemporary ballet and different types of dances that you can't fake it. It is what it is. And if it, you have to be, you have to dedicate yourself to it in order to really accomplish something great with it. There's no cutting corners. You can't, you can't pretend it's, it's, it's all or nothing. And I think that's what I really like about it because when you accomplish something great in that you you really feel it it's a full it's a full like kind of body soul mind experience Mm. that's why we do what we do it becomes your life you know what i mean i think it's important to always have you know healthy separation between you know life and work and all of that but as a dancer it's it really is your life i couldn't imagine my life without it what is your thought I am fascinated by the way the world is dancing right now. The uh-huh. world has everyone's dancing, even those who can't dance are dancing. That's true. <laughs> I mean, That's it's true. Everywhere it's on TikTok, it's on Instagram, it's it's Facebook. Yeah. Everyone is dancing. What is that about? Yeah. What is that about? I think it's great. I mean, I think it's cool that I mean, dance is for everybody. Hands down. Dance is definitely for everyone. I think that. I think people people love to dance and I think that you know me as a performer I have the opportunity I, I have the opportunity to be a performer to perform and it's it's a great thing that I think you know these people that are like kind of like you know TikTok dancers or whatever I feel like this kind of thing gives them a little bit a little bit of a taste of what it is to perform and it's such a beautiful thing and I I understand why why people do it and why people um you know get something out of it I think that I'm lucky to be in the profession that I am, where I get the, the opportunity to perform for people around the world and on stages. And for people that don't have that opportunity, you know, just to, you know, record themselves on their phone and posting it, posting it or whatever is like performing. So I think that's why, I think that's why people do it, which is cool. What step in your life right now or in your career has required you to take the biggest leap of faith or required you to say yes to something that you weren't? anticipating saying yes to okay this solo that i was just talking about i think uh for myself and my career so far this was the biggest kind of hurdle like kind of a, a accomplishment you know because it was such a intense experience to dance it and also um the process, I feel like it was um, the most kind of like artistically elevated thing dance-wise that I have really accomplished so far in my career, I would say. And I think it was one of the the most enjoyable also experiences on stage that I've had because 
sometimes, you know, you, you have those moments where you, you get on stage and you kind of, uh, you get off and you don't even like remember what happened. You're like, was I dancing or what? And with this piece, I remember, um, I just, just being so in the moment and in, in the, in to the solo that I was really experiencing every single part of it the whole time in like a, in a real way. Hmm. And it's, uh, I was just really, I was, you know, proud of myself for allowing myself to go there and to be kind of vulnerable in that way. And also just uh, grateful to be able to have such great ballet masters that I worked with to accomplish what I accomplished. Skylar, thank you so much for your time today and just being so willing to talk about your journey, your life, your career. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. And to those of you who are watching or listening, remember, we all have a voice. So use yours wisely. Mm -hmm.